Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio. I'm Katie Bradford, Benedict Collins and Jessica Much. Hello. G'day. It's nice to have you back. Nice to be back, I think. <laughs> it is nice to be back. <laughs> it is nice to be back, for sure. Um, there's been, despite a lot of other international news and big news around, it's still been a busy week here, that's for sure. And um, the first big story of the week is a close look at Shane Jones' billion-dollar provincial growth fund and just what's going on there. The Natahine Forestry Trust is getting $8 million from the government to plant trees and create 60 jobs for the people of Northland. But One News has learned in a letter from the chairman to trustees that it's an exceptionally good deal that is far superior to previous arrangements and the financial returns will be substantial. If you've got a minister uh, wandering around the countryside handing out very large sums of money, uh, and certain groups are getting real financial returns out of it, uh, that's a very dangerous situation. One of those trustees set to benefit is former New Zealand First MP Peter Paraoni. He's told One News he wasn't involved in negotiations because he knew it wouldn't look good. Is the perception there that it's money for well, mates? Unfortunately, in the North, I am widely connected. And, and I can't walk away from the fact that I know thousands of people. But at no point did any uh, family connection or personal connection uh, motivate uh, me or my colleagues or the officials. It doesn't look good. Shane Jones has also given nearly $5 million to a group he was involved with before he was a minister, funding a cultural tourism project in Opanoni, although he declared the conflict of interest. And $7.5 million for a prisoner rehabilitation programme run by a former Labour Party president who knows the minister well. No, I think it was harder. Uh, we had to go jump through quite a few hoops. There's been far too many deals on handshakes in this government. Shane Jones says all of the deals are scrutinised by officials. He's in charge of a very large pot of taxpayer money. He's got a billion dollars a year to spend. And so far, he's only up to $126 million. A billion dollars is a challenge to spend without getting in the crap. <clears throat> and uh, I've had enough of that in my history. Shane Jones promising to tread carefully with millions more to spend. So I guess the key takeaway from that is just scrutinising how that money is spent. A billion dollars a year, and as the Minister so eloquently put it, it's quite hard to spend that much money without getting in the crap. And I just think... That's our job over the next three years as he goes to spend it is making sure there are those checks and balances in place. Absolutely. He's, he, I think from the start he was always going to struggle to spend that money. He's gone away and he said to councils, well, come at me with your proposals. Bring, bring your ideas to me. And I think um, it's basically going to end up as a bit of a lolly scramble that anyone who can come through saying, give me five million, give me ten, give me a hundred, they'll just go there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but I mean, here we're seeing some of the first projects off the ranks with, with clear links to you know, people associated with Labour, and clear links to people associated with New Zealand First. How do you think you know, the the public's going to perceive this. I guess the thing is, is when you know the minister and they know the projects that they're looking into, it's a lot easier to get something across the line. There's that trust there. And it's and it's New Zealand. But you've the perception and it has, that's yeah. it's got to 
the front page test that we talk about sometimes. Does it pass that front page test? Does it hold up to scrutiny? And the perception there isn't good. And my concern with this fund all along has been how much scrutiny is going on on these projects as they go through and get the hmm. sign off. And if you're a mate of Shane Jones and if you're in Northland or you're you know, someone he's worked with for a long time, there should be extra scrutiny in there. And I know there's a, there's a detailed process for this, but I think he's so desperate to be seen to be spending that money that that they're signing off on some of these projects. The other thing is it feels a bit like councils are going to be able to just go and say, hey, I've got this project, and they'll get the money whether it actually is something that's going to pro provide jobs and growth for a region or not. And I think that's something that has to be a close eye kept on. Yeah. Another thing I think we were weighing up in the, in the office earlier this week was around the um, Howard League and the driving mm. program being funded as part of a, you know, a regional development fund. Kind of interesting, and I think you could make arguments... Either way, like it's, you know, obviously if you're giving people the opportunity to get their licences, they can get employment, that's going to work, you know, well in the regions. But then on the other side, it's not sort of typically what, you know, what we've seen so far in terms of the projects and that I are getting funded. almost that's the point. All of these projects, we should be going through yeah. with a fine-tooth yes, comb, comb and they should be justifying why they're getting the money out of the scheme. Because we spoke to Mike Williams and he said, look, yeah. um, we're getting people work ready. So that's why it's part of the Provincial Growth Fund. But it, you should have to justify for every dollar that comes out of that billion dollars. That should be the point. And also that project is something I'm pretty sure the last government was funding through a different fund. And I think that's what I mean, is that we're coming back to a point where this fund is basically just to like put your hand up and say you want some money, and that's where the money's going, as opposed to it being specifically for the regions, and I can't remember the term that Shane Jones used, but it's something like the boost regions, he's got these regions picked out that he says are the ones that need the money, is, he, is money actually going to where it should be, I guess? I think it was that I sat down with him, we did almost a 20 minute interview and sat down, and it was interesting, and when you do those longer interviews, you have a bit of time to... Um, get behind it and, and, and listen to some of his bigger picture stuff on it. And it's really interesting. And if anyone's interested, um, we did cut down um, a five-minute clip of that, and it's on our Inside Parliament website. So if you do want a little bit more of that, um, a more of a taste of it. But it was interesting to um, sit down with him. And one of the points that he said was, look, I'm 58. I'm in politics. I didn't come here um, to sit quietly. I came here to make some changes and perhaps that's part of it as well. He doesn't really mind about not being too PC um, and perhaps isn't always sticking to every, dotting every I and crossing every He's T. He's not there to be PC. No. He, I mean, I think he genuinely believes in this fund. Um, he really does want to... That's what New Zealand First are there for. He really does want to create jobs and boost the regions. I've got no doubt about his intentions for the fund. It's, I guess it's still its first year, and maybe in three years' time we'll feel very, diff very differently about where it's gone to and finding those projects. A lot of these projects also were national. We're looking at them through their past, their regional growth projects and economic development plans as well. So summer councils should have things ready to go, which is why I'm surprised more money hasn't really been spent yet. Yeah, and I think it's the project's still getting up and running, the fund, isn't it? I mean, it's still mm. pretty early days. Yeah, well, 126 million. Yeah, of, yeah. of, of the of first billion, billion, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and we've already seen, you know, um, the fund put its foot in it, uh, so to speak, you know, <laughs> with funding 
or, or you know, announcing initial funding for a um, scheme in the South Island, who's you know the person in charge of the company being referred to the Serious Fraud Office the year before. Um, mm. You know, so we've seen them kind of make mistakes along the way already yeah. as well. Yeah, and Jess has just put Jess has just put them on notice that she's going to be watching every single dollar that's spent. I love yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think it's such an interesting it's such an interesting idea. And yeah, you're right; it is a long term thing. But I just think you've just got to make sure it's a big pot of money um, that needs to be dished out, and we should be doing that on behalf of the taxpayers of New Zealand. And speaking of big spends by the government, um, defence nice. is another big <laughs> segue. All right, yeah. defence is obviously see another big issue. Ron Mark is Defence Minister getting to uh, make his big announcement. Benedict took a look at that. The Defence Force is going to have to respond to a lot more disasters like this in the future. We are witnessing right now increasing frequencies of increasingly violent, disruptive and destructive weather patterns that are hitting our Pacific Island communities. Climate change is the mother of all non-traditional security threats. We've already seen climate refugees in the South Pacific and it can lead to interstate conflict over increasingly scarce resources. And the government's worried our military isn't equipped to fight this battle. Talking to Lieutenant Commander Lorna Gray, the manner in which she had to manoeuvre HMNZS Wellington to prevent it capsizing and the potential for her losing her entire complement was high, very high. While climate change was identified as a key threat in the strategic defence document launched today, the government also called out China for its behaviour in the Pacific and the South China Sea. And that could ruffle feathers. There are the issues of financial loans that bring with them down the line potentially other obligations. There is the issue of the South China Sea. They're changing their policy and their relationship with China. So they need to be very clear with the country in terms of what work they've done on that and what it actually means uh, for us because that relationship fundamentally is very important on, on many levels. The government also singled out another player. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. It believes America's change of stance could undermine security in the region. We are not afraid to take bold stands. He expects to announce plans to replace the ageing Orions in the coming weeks, while details of a wider overhaul of military assets will be announced late this year. Yeah, so we saw the, the new government come out and you know, really sort of outline its, its new approach for defence, obviously there around climate change. And of course, just a couple of days later, they announced uh, 2.34 billion dollars of spending, uh, bringing in new planes, uh, new surveillance planes for the Pacific. Um, no, and there was a bit of um, bite back about that as well, because these planes, they're known as uh, submarine hunters. Um, Great you know, they're, name. They're totally kitted out for tracking subs, for you know, destroying subs. Um, and yet, just a couple of days before, the government comes out and says, hey, look, our main job here for defence is going to be all around climate change. It's about you know, helping out in the Pacific when the islands get smashed by you know, storms. Um, the minister sort of spoke quite a bit about how... You know, the Navy's having to deal with uh, conditions that it's never had to experience before. So then for just a couple of days later to sort of turn around and be buying, you know, a few very expensive planes from the United States that are much more about, you know, military um, you know, attack than they are about 
climate change, for instance, was quite interesting. Yeah, the plane purchase has been a long time coming as yeah. well. So I think it's probably about time they got them. Yeah, they are, they are a bit <laughs> old. It seems like every couple of months you... You get another story about a plane circling. Uh, uh, circling having Fanua been on Pine. one of those planes that yes, broke down smoke, in Townsville, with smoke in the um, cockpit <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Hey, so I mean, they do need to be uh, replaced. Obviously, they're yeah. getting to the end of their lives. But yeah, interesting that they sort of had that, you know, uh, submarine hunting but qualities. Big picture in this, you've got yep. two sides of it. You've got right. We are a global citizen. We are mates with the US and Australia, we need to play ball. Mm. So you've got that part of it. The other part of it is that we are a small island nation in the Pacific and we've just spent $2.4 billion on these planes that are far more capable than we ever need them to be. So which side, what do you guys reckon about it? Uh, well, I think it's, like you say, we're a global player and, and I think as Benedict's first story showed was about the immediate job that our Defence Force does is in the Pacific, is helping out with natural disasters, with fisheries monitoring and so forth and having just been overseas, a lot of people actually ask me about what New Zealand's Defence Force is like and what our capabilities are and um, whose side we're on because there's a big talk of, you know, the South China Seas is our most immediate threat. If things blow up there, you can know who's going to be guaranteed to be called on and that's us, and we need the capabilities to be go to be able to go up there, even if it's just monitoring what's going on. Australia plays a big role in helping out the Philippines already, and and New Zealand is almost the next point of call. And so, is our defence force at the moment fit for that if something like that happened? But is it a case of oh, you guys have a skateboard, I want a skateboard so I can play too, <laughs> yeah. you know? And is that what we want to be doing with our defence force? Yeah, and I think it's also a case of hey, you know would be wanting to be seen to be playing our bit, yes. even if it's on a tiny, tiny yes, scale, it's a very right? small scale. Mm. Um, yeah. did, because obviously because I've been away, did Ron Mark talk about how much they're pulling back from what National comp- had promised with that $20 billion spend? Or where so, they- uh, yeah, he's getting a um, capability report, well, they're getting reports back later this year. They're kind of doing a bit of a, a stop take on where they're at. And, and uh, Mark Mitchell, um, you know, he had obviously, he was going to buy these planes mm. as well. They just hadn't quite got there yet. But I think Ron Mark's waiting to later in the year to figure out exactly, you know, what they're going to be spending their money on. It was quite interesting watching Ron Mark at the press conference come and make the announcement and just walking in and and, kind of almost like the cat that got the cream, like, yeah, we got this over the line. And Mm. you can just imagine as a defence minister, this is a pretty massive win. Big deal. And another one to add to New Zealand first as well. They seem to have been getting some big spending promises in the coalition deal, that's for sure. Yeah, what, did, sure you, have. what did you guys think about, um, it seemed to be a bit of a change in direction from the government in terms of calling out China um, in this defence paper. Um, I think, as I said there, it's likely to ruffle feathers. It did this week. Yeah, China sort of making pretty pointed comments back at New Zealand saying, hey, no, you're wrong, you need to, you know, change your language there. And that's the diplomatic dance we are trying to play. because Between the USA and China. Yep. As every other country in the world is trying to do right now. Yep. And we, and that's why we're almost, we're on like this tightrope walking along trying to balance between the two. And now China's been like, ah, 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 giving us a bit of a prod on it with a stick on this side. And the US and Australia are giving us a bit of a prod on that side. It's, we are, we have a, a strong relationship with China, but that makes our traditional allies nervous. Mm. And that's, that's tough. 
Um, my understanding is there was quite a high-level meeting just a couple of weeks ago between the USA and New Zealand and Australia and others about this, and the USA recognising how much they want New Zealand as a friend and to perhaps bring us back even more warmer into that relationship than than things perhaps have been, and that's because of that China threat and that worry over China and those issues around South China Seas and all of, all of that. But it's an interesting position it puts us in mm. in that sense when both sides are trying to get our attention. And there has been that suggestion, you know, that New Zealand's been a bit naive about, you know, China and its influence, you know, and how it can sort of infiltrate society. Um, well, there's been a lot of talk, and we've been in the Pacific over the years when, um, when a lot of talk mm. about the spending by China and Taiwan in Rarotonga and other places in terms of trying to get their votes on international forums. But then those are yeah. loans. The big difference there is they're lending a lot of money to countries that can't afford it, um, whereas the US and others are trying to come in and provide help in other ways. And mm. again, that's you know the battle for the Pacific. And bigger picture, that Pacific reset that we've yeah. talked about, perhaps something that we've taken for granted. So started off talking about planes and ended up talking big picture, big global politics. Yeah. So... It, it just goes to show. And uh, one one party that will no longer be talking about politics, whether locally, <laughs> whether domestically or internationally, and that is top announcing that they are uh, ending their uh, ending their party this yeah, week. Going from the top to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they didn't do too badly at the election for a new party. Two no. point, you know, two point four percent, I think it was. Have a look at um, a bit of a history of top. The country's newest party promising to deliver a different type of politics. Those who campaign to change from blue to red or right to left are like a bunch of kids screaming, Dad's burnt the dinner, let's get the dog to cook. Gareth Morgan's Opportunities Party has about 4,000 members and 15 key policies, ranging from a universal basic income to tenancy reform. The millionaire businessman says, though, he doesn't care who's in charge. It's just an auction. Um, so whoever gives us most of our 15, or whatever the number is, I think it's 15 now, policies, they get the nod from us. The leaders bidding to be the next Prime Minister were out shaking hands, young and old, today. And equally non-committal about working with Gareth Morgan. For us, it's all about what happens on September 23rd and then we'll, we'll work with what's presented to us. They've got a long way to go to get to 5%. Unusually, neither the opportunities leader or his deputy would ask to be ministers if they did help form a government. I don't want to be a minister. No. No, no, no. No, the whole idea of the opportunities party is to be on the cross benches. And as the party showed off its 20 candidates, Mr Morgan announced he expects to poll 10% come election day. That'd bring in approximately 12 MPs. As to where those votes will come from, New Zealand First and the Greens are the main targets. I think we'll just skim the cream. Maybe it's a protest vote against the Greens and Labour. I can't say I've sat down and analysed uh, all of the uh, predictive polling around new parties' um, chances. Yeah, big vote. The Opportunities Party is on the rise, polling around 3%. So a taste I'll have to have one. of what each leader could be dealing with post-election. I declare our campaign officially launched. But six weeks is a long time in politics. I guess what's so interesting in this is that Top got a couple of percent in the election and where that is going to go and mm. who that benefits. And that's why we're interested in this. It was a party backed by 
uh, one person creating a party of ideas and got so much traction um, and arguably pretty successful and and they've just decided no but now where do those voters go yeah they were they were an interesting party in terms of who they were um, trying to get support from. I mean, I know a lot of young people really did support the them. A orphans, lot of people, political yeah, orphans. a lot of people really thought they had a chance at the election. Have you got something? Yep. No, Ben's I do. So, speaking of, being, speaking of being <laughs> a, a an interesting party, um, uh, this is from their statement this week um, from Gareth Morgan and announcing that the party was wrapping up. The voting public demonstrated that best practice, evidence-informed policy is not of significant concern when deciding elections. When 20% of the vote moves in 48 hours simply on the back of a change of leader, with no improvement at all in policy being offered, what makes the New Zealand voter tick is clear. So, uh, you know, a bit of a the public are idiots kind of um, statement there as, yeah. he, as wonder, he wrapped up the I party. I wonder how much money he spent in total on this party as well. Or maybe that's it. why he's so angry yeah. with the yeah. public. But you know you're losing when you have to say to the public, and, yeah, you're too stupid to vote for us. And <laughs> also have my uh, tweet of the week. This is by um, Jeff Tollin. He tweeted, Top survived about one year, eight months. The average domestic cat can live into its late teens or early 20s. Yeah. So I quite like that. Yeah, mm. I like that as well. I wonder what's next for Gareth Morgan. Yeah, one of our... <laughs> former colleagues, Heather Duplessy-Allen, um, named her cat Gareth Morgan. So I wonder how she'll be feeling <laughs> about the latest developments. Perhaps a little yeah. bit more secure in her cat's longevity. Yes, mm. and I think a lot of those people who um, left the party um, with very ill feeling may be feeling a bit vindicated now as well. Mm. There's some messy business going on there. So yeah. mm, interesting. Right. But yes, who will be next in terms of political parties? Yeah, yeah. we shall see. Um, and I think just lastly, I um, want to do a bit of a wrap about the trip I've just been on, why I've been away for three weeks. Um, I um, was lucky enough to uh, be selected by the East West Centre and Asia New Zealand Foundation to spend three and a half weeks in Asia and the USA um, looking at uh, politics and issues in the region. And I have to say it's one of the best things I've ever done in terms of the amount I've learnt. It's been really full on. But um, I started in Hawaii where we did everything from learning the basics of the US federal political structure to... Um, meeting with some Republicans over lunch, which was an eye-opening experience, the Trump supporters, and it uh, definitely gave me a good insight into how and why Trump got elected and to the challenges that America faces around these issues from everything from trade to international relations and the position America is in right now. Um, and in Singapore, I went to an international journalist conference where we talked a lot about an issue everyone here will care about, and that's fake news um, and the impact that's having on, um, on people and what we do to fight back from it and what we do... The challenge that it faces. I think here in New Zealand we're really lucky. Like sometimes we get tweets right about fake news, mm. calling us fake news or whatever. But compared to what's happening in America and in many countries around Asia, where um, we are in quite a good position, let's hope it doesn't rub off on us. Um, in terms of what we're seeing. And then I've just had a really good insight into looking at Philippines and the Malaysia who uh, have recently had new leaders uh, in Malaysia. They've had their first new new government for the first time ever and they're very excited there. Um, I interviewed an MP last week who reminded me of new Labour MPs. He was talking about the government's 100-day plan. He was talking about... Um, he, he was like an excited toddler. He was like, I can't believe it. I just can't believe that we're in, we're in government. I, can't, yeah. I never thought this would happen. And now we've got ministers. And I thought, this reminds me of Labour when yeah, they came in. And then now... now yeah, and I said to someone, I was like, he's like an excited toddler, and then he'll be like our ministers are now when they're a bit more like weary teenagers, when the reality <laughs> of it, of actually being in power, has set in. Um, but for Malaysia, it's a big deal, because it's the first time in their 60-year history they've had 
a new government. Amazing, so, yeah. Yeah. And then um, the Philippines was facing some massive issues, and so that was really interesting there with their leader, with Duterte. And, um, yeah, so it was and, pretty cool. And you were saying before it was a bit of a wake-up call for you in terms of how lucky we are to be journalists in New Zealand. Yeah, and we get a lot of flack as journalists, um, particularly as political journalists. But compared to um, – I met Mar- Maria Ressa, who is a journalist in the Philippines, who gets death threats, who gets trolled, people saying, like, the most – terrible things, the government trying to shut her uh, and her her publication Rappler down all the time. Um, met journalists from Cambodia and China and, and the sort of um, troubles they're facing there are really incredible and it makes me feel really lucky in New Zealand but it is also why we have to continue to stand up as journalists in New Zealand and around the world and it kind of shows us why we do the job we do, right? I like think, our job yeah. is to hold the government to account over the Provincial Growth Fund yeah, and to, to say to people this is what they're doing, this is how your money's spending and we're lucky in New Zealand that no one tells us what to do. Mm. And I think that's most people in New Zealand, even though maybe they don't agree with us all the time, get the value of the fourth estate that we are holding mm. people to account and that's our job but it does make you realise what a perfect country New Zealand is in some ways that we are scrapping over these things and not some of the big picture and not, things. But not over people dying, you know. And, um, and, I mean, the thing with fake news that does concern me here is, is I see a lot of people saying, if they didn't like your story, they say that was fake news. And that's mm. not fake news. That's that you disagree with what was said yeah. in the story. And I think what what I noticed was that in countries like the Philippines or Malaysia, who Malaysia have a fake news law where you can go to jail and be fined if the government deems that your publication was fake news. Wow. Yeah. And so... Um, um, which is incredible, and and what I think happens in New Zealand is we almost have a bit of a lag that things happen in other countries and then it rubs off, and I think we do need to watch out here. I don't think the government will ever implement a fake news law, but we certainly don't want to be accused of, you know, of making up stories, which we and, don't do. Yeah. And would that fake news, would that be what the government perceived Yeah, well, the be? government thinks yeah. it's fake news, yeah. 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 And that yeah. was the previous government, so a new government is in and as part of the 100-day plan, they're supposed to repeal the, the fake news law. It hasn't happened yet. But um, Singapore's talking about doing it. Um, I think in China and Cambodia, they just do it anyway. They don't worry about whether they've got a law or not yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. to do it. But, but I mean, it's, I think it's just a, an interesting perspective to look and also just making contacts to look at all, all the things that are going on in the region. Um, yeah. And New Zealand definitely feels like a bit to player, but yeah. it still we're, affects we're us. Scrappy. <laughs> we're scrappy. We're scrappy. We punch, pull our weight. Is that what we call it? Yeah. Punching above our weight. Yeah. Yeah. Punching above our weight. Yeah. And with that, that was the last podcast with me for now anyway. Yeah, well, thanks, but I'll take over now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, th- you. this is the last podcast that you are doing. Um, Katie is obviously shifting to Auckland, um, and we're going to miss her, not just on the podcast, but in the office and, and all the stories and the political history and all of that that you bring to the team. So we just wanted to say thank you for all of the energy and feistiness and um, intelligence that you bring to this role and your fight for fairness in all of the things that you do. So we're really going to miss you. Um, and we have a little thing for oh. you. <laughs> I was going to say you just like me because I bring you treats from overseas. <laughs> oh, yeah, we forgot to mention the treat. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. So that oh. is for you. Oh. Um, 
we don't have pink flowers, but we are also <laughs> saying um, bye to our gallery cameraman, Chris, on Friday. So he is leaving too. Yeah, those shaky shots. <laughs> that's all him. Um, you guys don't get to see him, but he is um, around us and loitering all the time. And he's the one who makes us look good. <laughs> yeah, some days. Some days. Some days yeah. it can't be helped. Yeah. Poor Chris. Um, but yeah, a little bit of an end of an era yeah. um, for the podcast and for our gallery team. So we just wanted to say a big thank you um, to both of you guys and thanks for all our for international, international candy. Um, and thank you to all of you guys. I'm, I've always felt very lucky to work with, um, to work in the gallery and work with the TVNZ team and the people you can't see behind the camera like Chris and Adam and Simone, our political producers here, who have taught me so much and Jess, um, who have taught me so much about TV and about um, TVNZ and about being here. And I'm not, re I'm just going to Auckland, but it is, for me, <laughs> I'm not dying. It is the end of an era in the sense of um, the wonderful people I've worked with down here and the wonderful stories I've got to cover and do. So. Do you want to read the outro for the last and time? And for the last time, let's see if I can get it right, eh? Um, <laughs> it's great to have you with us uh, this week. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook, Facebook page and on your favourite podcast app. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. See you guys. <laughs>